0: Today's scripture comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Please follow along in your bulletins or the screen above. Hear now the word of God. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come to you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of God.
1: Good morning, 1 p.m. For those of you who don't, I mean, not good morning, good afternoon. For those of you who don't know me, um, my name is Lisa. I'm usually at the um, 1030 service. Um, I'm the wife of 1J, who's 1J Hudson. I still have a hard time calling him that, Um, who spoke last week. Um, And I don't preach that often, so um, it's my privilege to be here today. Um, As you heard, if you were here last week, 1J started off the Advent series, Awaiting the Promise, with his message on the posture of waiting. And so he talked about how and reminded us that though it's difficult to wait, we can still grow and mature from it because God is, always has a purpose in our waiting. Today I'm going to continue the series by talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the power of surrender. Now, I know some of you right now already, you want to tune me out or you want to shut me out because you don't like that word surrender. Something inside you is like boiling up because surrender is like such a um, buzzword for you, Um, especially in light of maybe the recent news. Uh, about all the those people who are, um, you know, accused of sexual harassment coming up. Like, we have people like, you know, Harvey Weinstein or Charlie Rose. Um, and I'm sure this week's news um, of Matt Lauer now being fired because of sexual ha- harassment, like, has shocked so many people. And so words like submit and surrender makes you think of these, like, Men in certain positions who use their influence to make women afraid of losing their jobs and therefore making them a victim. But just like Romans twelve two says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. I believe that God wants to redeem that word surrender for us today. And especially through the story of Mary, and what we can learn from her example. So let's pray as we begin, okay? Father, we just invite your spirit here to teach us today. May your word be powerful. May your word be like that double-edged sword that really uh, speaks to us, that really helps us to understand what you would have us to learn Father, um, we just entrust this time to you. We know that you are working. Thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Webster Dictionary describes or defines surrender as to yield to the power, control, or possession of another upon compulsion or demand. So for example, I am from the South. I'm from Virginia. So... Something like the Civil War in, in 1865 when Robert E. Lee surrendered to Ulysses A. S. Grant. You know, you learned that in probably high school. Um, they were surrendering... And that indicated the end of the war at that surrender. Or like 1J, if you know him, you know he loves MMA. So um, we define surrender as maybe when a fighter taps out because he's overpowered by his opponent. We think of that as surrender. Um, But the problem is when we take that same definition and we think that's what Christian surrender should look like subconsciously we kind of think in our head um, God is like that cosmic, you know, God out there holding like this gun to our head saying, you know, you better believe in Jesus or you're going to hell or something like that, right? Um, And so we try to fix our behavior um, so that God isn't displeased with us or we try to earn God's favor with our obedience. But anytime surrender is obtained through force, or fear, only the outside action is corrected or affected. And that even is only affected for only a short amount of time because essentially what that does is still give me control. I'm still in control of the situation. However, what is the biblical example of surrender? I think the best illustration is. Um, you know, from the mystics long time ago, Christian mystics, the way they would describe surrender is someone, say, who's learning to swim. And the lesson they're learning is floating. How do you float, right? And the important thing about floating in water is what? You got to trust that the water will hold you. Most of us here here in this room um, most likely has enough body fat to float if you tried. Um, and so what happens here is when you, the, when you, the moment you try to resist floating or try to float and do something, some action to keep floating, that's what happens. You start sinking. But it's the moment you surrender to the water. It's the moment you trust completely in the water to hold your weight, that's when you begin to float. And that's the same way with Christian surrender. Totally, totally putting all your trust in God. That is surrender. And so we're going to look at Mary's surrender today. When she was told that she would give birth to the Son of God, whose kingdom will never end, and all that through, having a baby without ever having sex, what does she say? She says, God, I'm your servant. May it be to me as you said. But how did she get there? How did she become someone who completely surrendered to God? So let's look. Let's look at her background. First, the Bible says, the angel Gabriel, 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 Visited Mary in a small town called Nazareth. Historians will estimate that the town's maybe around 1,600 people, so pretty small town. Um, in fact, in the Gospel of John, when there's an account of Jesus kind of gathering his first 12 disciples, there's a scene where Philip is trying to recruit Nathaniel, and he's saying, Come, come look. There's a man from Nazareth. He's the Messiah. And, Na- and Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Indicating that the town really had no spiritual significance whatsoever. It was a tiny town. And so the Bible doesn't really talk about Mary's family of origin. Because most likely, it wasn't really significant. She had no pedigree No significant thing in her family line that was noteworthy. But Joseph, her fiancé, he was said to be from the line of David, but nothing about Mary. Mary was also very young. It's not like today, because when she was engaged, most likely people say she's, um, historians will say she was only like 12 or 13. Um, And so back in the day... um, they they got engaged really, really early. And um, just to put it in perspective, you know, my oldest daughter, Eden, is actually 13 right now. And so imagine, I'm try, I try to imagine, oh my gosh, when if Eden came to me one day and said, guess what, mom, you know, God told me something, I would be like, what are you talking about, <laughs> right? And so um, Mary's from a tiny town, she has no pedigree. She's very young. Most likely she's very poor. She's probably from the peasant class. How do we know this? Because Joseph was a carpenter. And when they did finally um, have Jesus, they went to the temple to give an offering for, you know, the birth of their first child. And what did they bring to the temple? It was two pigeons. And at that time, that was what only the very poor brought for the offering. And so we know Mary and Joseph were very poor. Most likely she was illiterate because back then women did not learn how to read. And so culturally, um, the tradition was, um, you would only speak through telling stories. It was the oral tradition or the um, temple priest would read the Bible, would read the scripture, the Old Testament out loud. And that's how she would hear it. But also remember... That Mary grew up during the time where we call the intertestamental period, which is the 400 years in between the Old and New Testament. And people would call that the 400 years that God was seemingly silent. There was no prophets, no judges. No one would say, thus saith the Lord, and so on and so forth. No one would say that. 400 years, that's a long time. And so, um, during this time, the Greeks and Romans were taking over the Jewish people. Um, She lived in a time when the Pharisees and Sadducees were coming into power. Um, There was no such thing as a Pharisee or a Sadducee in the Old Testament. But these were teachers of the law who were becoming more and more corrupt. And yet, they were the leaders of the church. Um, And so, essentially, think to yourself, Mary had nothing to qualify her. She was young, illiterate, poor, came from a tiny town. And during this period where God is essentially silent, Gabriel comes and visits her. Yet how does Gabriel greet her? Starting with verse 28 from the passage today, it says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Mary should have lived and died in total obscurity. She wouldn't have even made a blimp in any kind of history book but yet God saw her. God visits her. God picks her and says you are highly favored. So why? What can we learn from this? Why does Mary surrender? The first thing I want to say is Mary's surrender was based on perfect love. God's Perfect love, not fear. First, when we look at God's unconditional love, Mary realized that God saw her as important. It didn't matter where she came from, or um, you know, her grades, her pedigree, um, who her parents were, what job she had, what she looked like, even. There's no physical description of Mary. She wasn't like especially, you know, beautiful as she's depicted in those icons. Um, There's nothing, nothing. And yet God saw her. 1 John four eighteen says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Mary was basing her decision, her surrender on God's view of her, not her view of herself or other people's view of herself. Now, Philip Yancey writes, the Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant and Muslim code of law, each of these offer a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. The world says surrender and change your behavior to please this cosmic God out there. But you know what God says? You know what the Christian God says? He says, surrender because I want your heart. I want a relationship of intimacy with you. In David Benner's book um, called Surrender to Love, he poses the question early on in the book. He says, um, he asks, Imagine God thinking about you. What do you assume God feels when you come to mind? So think about it. Th- take a moment. Think about if God was thinking about me, Lisa, right now, or you, you know, if God was thinking about me, Josh, Pat, you know, David, what would he be thinking right now? And think about it. Now, if the answer to, your question, to that question, is the first thing God sees is my sin, then what comes to mind is that God is constantly angry at us or disappointed at us. We need to keep striving to be worthy of love somehow. We need to earn his approval and try to measure up to his expectations. But think about it. First John 4 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. John is reminding us that God's character is to love. It's in his DNA. He cannot be separated with love. It's just part of him. To us, love is like an emotion. Some days I feel it, some days I don't. But to God, it's something he can never be separate from. It's part of him. It's who he is. And so when, we think to, when you think to yourself, oh, God doesn't love me because he's angry. Or God doesn't love him because he's disappointed in me. Or God doesn't love me because I didn't do this. You know, that's impossible because God is love. He can never be separated from that fact. And so, Mary based her surrender on that person, on that character of God, that perfect love. That's how she was able to surrender, put all her trust in God. Next, what can we learn from Mary's surrender was that her surrender was powerful because it activated the promise. Going back to the text, Gabriel is telling Mary what's going to happen. You're going to have a son. It's going to be the Son of God. His kingdom is going to go on and on forever. And Mary asks, how is, it, how is this possible? I'm, I'm still a virgin. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come over you. And, and the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. And he reminds her, even Elizabeth right now is six months pregnant. And he reminds her at the end, for no word from God will ever fail. Some translations say, because nothing is impossible with God. Here we see in the passage, Mary still had some questions. She wasn't sure how it was all going to work. Remember, nothing like this was ever seen before in the Bible. This was totally new. It was creative, unprecedented event. In the Mary would have heard things like uh, Mary, maybe the story of Abraham and Sarah. She became pregnant in her old age, or Mary, some, maybe someone like Hannah in the Bible, who's the mother of the prophet Samuel. She became pregnant in her own age. Even Gabriel is reminding um, Mary of Elizabeth, her cousin, becoming pregnant in her old age. But Getting pregnant without ever having sex was completely new, totally unheard of. And so think to yourself, Mary's, like, what? What? How does that happen, right? She's totally dumbfounded. But also think of the consequences of what her surrender would have looked like. She was an unwed mother. And I know it's definitely taboo still, but back then it's, like, exponentially more taboo to be an unwed mother, to, to be pregnant without, you know, um, being married. Um, so no matter how much she told her friends, look, God, I, I really am innocent. I'm a virgin, but I'm pregnant. How many people do you think really believed her? Um, how many people do you think were talking behind her back? How many people do you think were really um, questioning Jesus' illegitimacy? Um, as he was growing up. That was all happening, and Mary knew it. So even think to yourself, um, I pose to you that even the story of Mary giving birth at an inn. You see, the Bible says that Jesus was born in a town called Bethlehem. Now, Joseph and Mary, the Bible says, had to go to Bethlehem, because that's Joseph's hometown. He went because they were holding a census, and he had to go to his hometown to register. Now, it's not—back um, then, most people um, grew up and died all in the same place or all in the vicinity of where they grew, um, were born— it's not like today, where it's easy to move. It's you know, I'm from Virginia, but I moved to Boston, and now I live in New Jersey. Some people move to the East Coast. Some people move to like Japan. It's easy nowadays, but back then it wasn't easy to move. Um, one because your vocation, but also because of transportation. You had to walk everywhere, and so it's very unusual that Joseph had to go to his hometown and not stay with relatives. Back during that time, usually you lived with your extended family, and so women in your family would help you when you gave birth. So where was Joseph's family? How come no one's helping them? Why do they have to go to an inn instead of staying with someone? Um, And again, this is all speculation, but I believe this goes to show how much shame was involved when Mary said yes to what God was asking her to do, yet Mary was, was able to surrender that perfect dream, her ideal dream of what her family was going to look like, what she thought her marriage and, and how what children would look like, she had to surrender that to God. Why was she able to do that Because She knew that God's plan was better. Mary was able to see the power of her surrender, and she chose to obey despite what it might have looked like to other people. You see, Mary saw and understood that partnering with God activates the promises of God. But I can only partner with God when I surrender my agenda and say yes to God. You know, 1J asked, if you were here last week, 1J asked, what promises are you still waiting for? And I pose to you today, perhaps some of you are still waiting because you haven't surrendered your agenda to God yet. You still think, um, by trying to control the situation or thinking you know better than God, that, um, you know, you're still waiting you're still waiting because God is waiting for you to surrender that to him. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, as we talked about. It's absolutely crazy to think that we would know better than God. Mary was able to say, yes, I'm your servant. Her yes was powerful because it was only in her surrender of her own plans, her own dreams, her own ideas, that she was able to activate God's promise of a Messiah. Her yes activated what God wanted to do. And that is the power of surrendering to God. God activating the promises that God has waiting for you. Lastly, what can we learn from Mary's surrender? Keeping with that P theme, Mary's surrender was personal and persistent. Meaning she didn't just surrender that one time when she was 13 years old and the angel came to visit her. Rather, her surrender meant everyday interaction with Jesus. Jesus as a baby. Jesus as a boy. Jesus as a man. Where am I getting this? Because the Bible says, Mary observed and pondered things in her heart. With every personal interaction that she had with Jesus, she had to constantly give up and surrender her authority as a mother. She had to constantly give up what her view of how Jesus should be acting looked like, right? And instead, she had to take on the eyes of a disciple. But it was only in surrendering that authority as his mother that she was able to take on the role as disciple. She was creating a personal history with Jesus that grew her faith. And she didn't just learn about Jesus from other people, but... She kept pouring into Jesus' life, and he kept pouring back into hers. So can you imagine what it might have been like in the beginning? Jesus as a baby, feeding Jesus, you know, baby food, uh, changing his diapers, holding him when he's crying, teaching him how to walk. Um, The first account we have of Jesus as a young boy is actually when he's 12, and so Mary and Joseph went to Jerusalem to worship for a festival. And they lose him. They lose him for three days. Um, can you imagine what that's like? Losing your son for three days? You would be freaking out, right? And finally, when they find him, she's kind of angry. And she's like, son, weren't, aren't you aware that we we're looking for you? And she was mad, right? And I know that, we, um, you know, Today, I'm not raising Jesus, even though sometimes it seems like I'm raising like the opposite of Jesus because the kids drive me crazy. But, um, but um, think about how angry or scared she must have been. And yet, well, how does Jesus come back? His, his retort is, Don't you know I was doing my father's business? <laughs> Why were you looking for me? I was going about my father's business. If If my son said that to me when he was 12, I'd be like, kid, get over here right now, right? Um, But that's not what Mary did. She observed and pondered this in her heart. She had to surrender that fear. She had to surrender that anxiety for what God had planned for her. Look also, look also at the fact that um, Mary was constantly... um, um, thinking about Jesus, constantly um, going to Jesus. The, the next account we have of Mary is at the wedding in Cana, the first miracle that Jesus performs. She goes to Jesus, and she says, um, Help! The, the, they've run out of wine. Can you do something? And what is Jesus' response? Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. How many of us have to surrender our view of timing on on maybe um, when you'll get married, when you'll have kids, when you'll get promoted, when you buy that house, um, when you're going to move, when your life will get started? "Quote unquote, um, our timing. We have these views in our head. We have to surrender that to God. You know, um, for for us, me and One J, you know. We have four kids, as most of you know. Now um, we have an 11th grader, 10th grader, uh, 8th grader, and a 6th grader. And so what that means for us is, you know, pretty soon our oldest is going to go to college. And right after, they're just going to go to college back to back to back to back. And so, you know, me as a parent, I have an opinion on... Maybe what SAT scores they would be getting, they should be getting. Or maybe what college, what type of college I want them to go to. Or maybe what type of person I want them to marry or what type of people I want them to be friends with. These are all, of course, my opinions and my, and my hopes for them. But, you know, the more I spend time with God, I feel like he constantly wants me to surrender that. You know, it's only going to be six years when, we, when um, our youngest goes to college. Six more years. You know, Wonji and I have plans. In our mind, we think it's going to be a certain way. But have I surrendered that to what God wants me to do? I must trust in God's timing. I must trust in what God wants to do, his plans for me, not what I want to do but what God wants to do. How else do we see Mary's surrender being personal and persistent? John 19 says, Mary was also at the cross when Jesus was being crucified. His mother was there. Can you imagine how painful it must have been as his mother watching your son die, like literally being tortured to death? The injustice She must have felt. But you know, the unsurrendered Mary just saw the pain. She saw people unjustly accusing her son. She saw Jesus suffering. But you know what the surrendered Mary saw? She saw the purpose behind the pain. She was able to see Jesus' death on the cross is so. The world can be saved through him. That's what the surrendered Mary saw. Because you know what? In the last account of Mary, the mother of Jesus, is found in the book of Acts. Acts 1.14 said that Mary was present when the 120 disciples were found in the upper room. And Pentecost. during Pentecost, Mary was there. It says that she was devoting herself constantly to... To prayer. So by the time we see her next, we still see that young girl that says, "I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said." But we also see her persistent surrender, that matured her into becoming a faithful follower of Christ. So what can we learn from Mary? What can we learn from her surrender? She surrendered. To perfect love. She was so sure that God loved her absolutely, that she was able to give all of herself. Her surrender was powerful because it activated God's promise. She trusted God's plan over her own plan for herself. And lastly, It was only through having a personal history with Jesus and being persistent in that surrender over and over, day in, day out, meeting with Jesus and constantly surrendering (laughs) that she was able to be transformed into the mature disciple that we find in Acts. And so I pray for us, New Mercy, 1 o'clock, 1 p.m. I pray we can also do the same. We can also mature as we constantly surrender to a loving father who can never, ever stray from his character of love. So let's pray together. If we can think, if you can think with me that question I posed, what do you, what do you think of when God thinks of you? What do you think comes to mind when he's thinking about you? Maybe praying about what areas of my life have I not surrendered. Maybe it's your agenda. Maybe it's your timing. Maybe it's your idea of what the ideal is supposed to be like. But let's pray that God would come and he would help us to surrender that to him so that he can begin activating the promises in your life. So let's pray together.